Hey listeners, this is Zidan from Israel. Hundreds of people have been murdered in a brutal terrorist attack by Hamas over Israel, extreme terror attack that began last week on Saturday morning, October 7, 2023. This terror act changed the reality of us all. Entire families, elder, women, children, babies were ruthlessly massacred in one of the most merciless terrorist attacks in the modern history. Entire communities have been wiped out. This brutal attack spread no one, affecting minorities, Arabs and foreign workers. Every day brings news of more friends, colleagues, acquaintances who have been murdered. Dozens have been kidnapped and taken to Gaza as prisoners, including women, children and elderly. Obviously, the sequence of the events is shocking, with many uncertainties. Like, basically, everyone here, we are all involved in immediate intuitives, mobilizing donates, clothing, food, and blood drives. Almost everyone in Israel is either being drafted into the military or engaged in other civilian activities to cope with the war. In all of this, we also get together some of... Israelis leading podcasters to bring you some voices and testimonies that paint a picture or try to paint a picture of this devastating time. The voices you will hear are raw. These not full stories, most of them aren't even edited. We're just collecting and release them as fast as we can because we think it's critical and central for our mission that you'll be able to hear what we are are hearing and what we experience. We're here to talk about it, to listen, to have conversation with survivors, with fighters, with people who have lost their loved ones or just wait for them to come back. This is their voice. Hello and welcome to another episode. My name is Aurel Yaz. We are now on day six uh, of this event, of this war. Uh, we are now at uh, Thursday morning. The hour is about uh, 12 uh, in the noon. And uh, today we are hosting Daniel Beaton. Hey, Daniel. Hey, oh, hi. Uh, so, Daniel, uh, as, as uh, you just mentioned to me, uh, you live in uh, the uh, kibbutz named Karmia. It's a kibbutz uh, in the... around surrounding Gaza and uh, you uh, and you were at, at your home doing your own thing uh, on uh, on Saturday morning but first of all can you tell me a little bit about yourself what do you do um, and what um, and uh, for how long do you live in in Carmia of course yes so uh, hi uh, my name is Daniel Beton I'm 27 years old I live in Kibbutz Carmia for about four years now. Uh, I own a renewable energy company uh, called DDI Energy. We operate here in Israel and in the United States. Um, so before this Saturday, I was a, definitely a normal uh, person, uh, just uh, living in Israel, working, um, having my daily routine uh, on this Saturday um, at six. Uh, do you want me to start to tell the, the story, right? Yes, please. Okay, so... 
On Saturday at around 6 a.m., I woke up to the sounds of the Iron Dune uh, shooting off nonstop uh, missiles. Uh, so everybody needs to know that the Iron Dune sound is something that we're used to, but not in this amount, not in this density of rockets. Uh, it was really one after another, and we couldn't leave the safe uh, zone of our home because of the missiles. Uh, 30 minutes after, um, there was a small bridge of break. So I went outside just to see uh, what was going on in the sky and see if something is, you know, got hurt or something like that in our backyard. So I went outside and that was the first time that I heard the M16 uh, noise uh, just automatically shoots um, around us. But again, it's a very strange noise, but I didn't really know how to manage that because I didn't really thought before it happened that penetration of terrorists could ever happen in our area because we have uh, some uh, fence, the... Um, um, the fence that was supposed to protect us, and we really uh, believed in that. So, so I you you had just just to just to clarify, you had those M16 noises uh, shooting. You've heard was it by terrorists or by people from your kibbutz trying to defend it? It was by terrorists, not by people from my kibbutz, because nobody really knew that the terrorists invaded Israel into that uh, in that time. Mm -hmm. So. We just got back to sleep. Um, after a few moments, my friend called me and she told me that uh, there there are terrorists in a nearby city called Sderot and that they were attacking civilians, killing them, shooting RPGs, uh, having um, an enormous amount of, um, uh, um, um, of weapons and other... Um, things that they can use to kill civilians. And that was what they're doing. And they're trying to penetrate um, nearby kibbutzes. So I should run. And um, yeah, I decided to take my boyfriend. We took the car, uh, put the seats back uh, as much as we can, just grab some basic stuff, our uh, you know phones and stuff like that. And that was the first time that we ran away. Uh, when we drove on our way outside, we saw very weird um, sights because in Israel, even though it's a place where it's very close by to the Gaza Strip, we normally don't uh, really point guns or holding guns in our hands while we're driving or stuff like that. But because people didn't really know who were terrorists and who were just civilians, everybody were um, in a combat mood and they opened their uh, windows, uh, hold guns outside of the windows and stuff like that. Um, it was very odd. And yet we thought that the IDF would manage the situation in a few moments. And this is why we didn't really think about other people from the kibbutz. We didn't really think about taking a lot of stuff from our home. We just thought about running out. Um, a few hours later, I think it was two or three hours, the satellites of the cell phones went off. And we, so we had no signal. Know. You just could, didn't know yeah. what is going on. You were just blind. They were... I, we were just blind. We were definitely, un, uh, we couldn't reach anyone and we were disconnected from everyone in the kibbutz because not only does the satellite uh, went off, the um, the electricity also went off because they hurt um, a main electricity uh, provider right next to our kibbutz. Uh, 
So that was the the time that we began to worry about my boyfriend's parents who was who were still there in the kibbutz and um, who they are quite um, old so they were afraid to drive outside of the kibbutz uh, by themselves. That was the time when we uh, drove back to the kibbutz and decided to enter when we m- when we reached the um, the highway uh, where we can turn right to the kibbutz or you know go straight to Sderot, the military actually stopped us and told us that if we want to go to the kibbutz, they cannot legally stop us from doing that because it's where we live. But they are strongly recommending us not to do so because they don't really know how many terrorists invaded Israel at that time. They didn't really know. Uh, how all of them looked like. And there was a danger of us getting hurt, not only by terrorists, but also from our own um, military, Military, from our own fire. But I couldn't really live with the fact knowing that something bad could have happened to them. So we decided to enter. Um, we when we entered, we saw horrible sights. Bodies are around the entrance of the kibbutz. Um, the our kibbutz is inside of a, a quite large reserve, so there is a lot of nature uh, around and a lot of trees. So I guess some bodies were I don't really know who they belong to, but I got to film some of them just to show the IDF in the entrance so they know what was going on inside. But it was really horrible sights to see. Um, we entered the kibbutz, we took his parents, and then again, living out, we saw more bodies. We heard, again, noises of shooting, noises from the Iron Dune, noises from the Gaza Stripe uh, shooting missiles at us. And yeah, it was very bad uh, when we got to leave the kibbutz, the satellite uh, went on. And uh, that was the time that I discovered that some of my friends were at the Nova party. Uh, Some of them were kidnapped. Some of them, we still don't know where uh, they are, but some of them are probably um, hurt or dead or hiding around the area. And um, yeah, we have a lot of a lot of our customers are from this area. So some of them were, um, you know, found dead, found decapitated, and um, just bad, bad um, things that happened to this area. And what are your feelings right now, Daniel? How do you feel after doing all that? You know, I think that your story is very unique because not many people... managed to even escape from the kibbutz during those attacks and you not only managed to escape but you managed to get back and save your boyfriend's parents so it's uh, something uh, I don't know uh, like some, some divine intervention right there so mm-hmm. please tell me uh, what are your feelings right now uh, what do you know that happened to your kibbutz the people you know from the kibbutz So my feelings right now, um, I think it's divided into two. The first strong feeling that I have is, of course, that I feel blessed um, having the ability to live twice, having the ability to grab my close family with me, my boyfriend's close family. Um, so this is like the first feeling that I have. And the, the second one, the... I feel very obligated to tell what is going on 
Uh, I feel very uh, obligated to tell the world about the Hamas and show them what they have done to innocent civilians who didn't harm any of them. Those are not soldiers. Uh, I think this is one of the main reasons why I don't speak about the soldiers because my little brother's friends, uh, my little brother is in the army right now and his friends also died. But I think that you know, when you're going to recruit, uh, you take this possibility and you think about this possibility. Uh, of course, it didn't had to happen, but when you're a soldier, it's it's one thing. And when you're a civilian uh, who's partying or just sleeping with your kids in your home is another different scenario. And this is why I think I feel obligated to tell the world about the civilians, especially, and not especially about the army forces. But, you know, every death is destroying our, you know, it's breaking our heart to think about all of those uh, deaths, especially when it um, outreached 1,000 pe- people who have died in this, uh, in yes, this attack. And we still don't know exactly what are the numbers and we'll probably know in the coming days and it's true devastating and heartbreaking for all of us. Um, What do you know about your house right now, about the kibbutz right now? Uh, Does the army allows you to go go back and see what's going on there or you are still not sure about your house, your neighbors? So the area was declared war zone after we left and uh, on Saturday evening, we cannot go back. One of my friends is in the special forces inside of the kibbutz. Um, so he is telling me what is going on and uh, what he can tell me, of course. And, you know, it's an awful situation. I don't really know if the um, terrorist had uh, successfully entered the kibbutz, our, our kibbutz, uh, because some of them died outside of the gates. But they still don't know a lot of the. It, it, now it's a military base, you know. All of the special forces of the IDF are all, all also there, and they're, you know, trying to see what was what is going on. But um, you know, kibbutzes are are a family. All of all of the kibbutzes in the area. So it's devastating to see what had happened in Beiri, what had happened in Iroz and Niram just to to hear about the stories and you know our kibbutz was luckily enough to i don't know you know have several deaths but not as many as other kibbutzes and um i don't quite know what is going on with my home and do you know some of the people that died from your kibbutz do uh, have you have you met them if you were were friends with them Yes, uh, not only from the kibbutz, but also from the moshav that was right next to us, where they had like 25 casualties, I think. And and, and how do you feel right now about this entire situation? About Do, do you have the time to, when you're, not, you're not, not in your home right now, do you have the time to even understand what you've been going through, what your friends has been going through, still going through right now? No, I... I don't think I I fully understand what is going on because it's very chaotic. Now we're, every two or three days we're moving uh, to another location and finding a shelter here in Tel Aviv or other cities. So I'm kind of caught, 
caught between finding a place to sleep and to live in, and in between giving interviews to the foreign media. Again, because I feel very, you know, I feel a strong feeling that I need to tell the world what is going on here. Uh, so I didn't really took the time to dive into that and to dive in into emotions. Um, so, yeah. And uh, to, to, to conclude your uh, horrific story, um, could you tell us, maybe you have a message for the listeners, for whoever watches us, listens to us? Yeah. So I think that even after all of that will pass, and I do believe that the IDF will end Hamas, I think that everybody around the world should understand that Hamas is just like ISIS, it's just like Al-Qaeda, it's a terror organization. Um, and, you know, they have started with us, and I believe that if we don't end this, they will spread around the world, killing other civilians, not only, uh, you know, from the Jewish community, because in this attack, they also killed uh, some Christians and some Muslims as well. So I believe that the world should unite against terror. And um, in this case, it is pure terror. And um, I think this is my message and that the Israeli people are very strong and uh, Israel will win this uh, battle against terror and against the Hamas. And I can't wait to go back to my home. Yes, and I can't I wait for... You will get back, back to your home. You will go back and, uh, and will. Uh, you will return and we all return uh, to live our normal life, I hope, very soon. Daniel Beaton, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you all.